Good morning. This is Jake Brown, and I'm the preacher at Liberty Christian Church in beautiful Madison, Indiana. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m., and you can find us at 8774 North U.S. Highway 421, Madison, Indiana. I want you to know this morning that, that we would love to have you come join us in person Sundays at 1030. We love to meet new people, and we love to make ourselves available to help others learn the true story of who Jesus is is, what he did, why he did it, and how to personally get in on the story. Well, it's just about time for the sermon to start, so turn up the volume, tune out the distractions, and it's my prayer that you find this morning's message engaging and meaningful. I want to bring you a message from Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. And this message is called, Where the Law Fails, Faith Prevails. We're going to see that the law fails in that we won't keep it. That's, that's the problem. We try to keep the law and we fail. The, the law actually points out to us that we fail, that we fail God. And so wrath is our reward. That is what we deserve for failing. Faith, however, faith prevails in that God's grace can be imparted to all who are of the faith of Abraham. And we'll talk about what that faith looks like here in just a little bit. So we're going to see that faith then is the root system that keeps us connected to God's promises. So I hope you've got your Bible handy as we read the scripture here. Uh, Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 13, we're going to go through verse 17. Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Follow along with me in your Bible. The scripture says, For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason, it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace in order that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. In the sight of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. So what's Paul getting at here? Well, uh, when we read through Paul's letter to the Romans, we see that he's been working at this issue of faith versus the law for a little while now. And back in chapter 2, Paul talks about how God is impartial. And that means that God doesn't show favoritism based on uh, externals, right? He doesn't show favoritism based on who your parents are, who your spouse is, where you were born, whether you are born under the law of Moses or not. None of that matters, when it comes to God's judgment, under the law, not under the law, Jew or Gentile, Paul says, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin is what makes a person guilty. Nothing else. Sin is what makes a person guilty. But faith, faith in Jesus Christ, Scripture says that makes a person righteous. And just as God doesn't show partiality when it comes to who is guilty, God also doesn't show partiality when it comes to who he considers to be righteous. 
In Romans chapter 4, verse 13, that we just read a minute ago, uh, Paul shows us that this, this faith thing isn't some new concept in the mind of God. It's not like God used to be a God of uh, detailed laws and now he's not. It's not like God used to expect 100% obedience or you were a complete failure in his eyes, but now he doesn't. No, what Paul is saying in verse 13 is that God's requirement of faith came before the law of Moses, right? We read that in verse 13. The scripture said, for the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. It couldn't be that fact, couldn't be any clearer the way it's, the way it's stated. The promise that God made to Abraham, that he would bless him, that his descendants would be innumerable, that his seed would bless the whole world, this gift that God was giving Abraham that would make him an heir of the world, in a sense, this, this gift and the gift that is available to all of his descendants, it comes through the righteousness of faith. Do you understand? Before the law was ever delivered, God made these powerful promises on the basis of faith. And we know that Abraham had faith, right? He demonstrated that faith. When God commanded that Abraham sacrifice his one and only son, whom he loved, Abraham was going to do it. It was done in his mind. He was going to do it. He may not have wanted to do it, but he was certainly going to do it. But listen, Abraham's faith was greater than just being willing to sacrifice his son for God. Abraham's faith ran deeper than that. And here's what I mean. Here's what I want you to what I want you to understand about the depth of Abraham's faith. And this is the kind of faith we need to have, by the way. Abraham knew that God had promised to make a great nation out of him. Abraham knew that God had promised to multiply his descendants like the stars in the sky. Abraham knew that God promised to use his seed to bless the whole world. And even though Abraham knew God commanded him to sacrifice the only son who could carry on the seed to keep the line going, Abraham's faith ran so deep that he believed God could and would still keep his promise. Now, the natural question is, how could that be? How could that be? In Genesis 21, 12, God told Abraham, through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. So if Isaac was going to be killed, if Isaac ended up dead, it would be impossible for God to keep that promise, right? Would your faith in God waver if you were in Abraham's position? I think we all need to ask ourselves that question. Well, here's what the Bible says was going through Abraham's mind as, as he was thinking through how this was possible. This is what Abraham was thinking. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19 says, He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him, that's Isaac, back as a type. Abraham's faith was so genuine, so real. And it was so significant to God, so important, so critical, vital to God, that in the mind of God, it was reality. Abraham received Isaac back from the dead, the scripture says. This verse in Hebrews says, God is able to raise people from the dead, from which, okay, so from the dead, from which he received him back. Scripture says that he received Isaac back from the dead. In the mind of God, this faith was so real. It represented a reality that credited righteousness to Abraham as though he had done the deed. 
Abraham's faith, his mind was so set to do God's will with faith that God's promises would still be kept. He didn't question God in the sense that he, in the sense that he would hesitate or consider not obeying him. Faith has always been critical to God. So going back to our main text here in Romans chapter 4, look again at what Paul wrote in verses 14 and 15. He's just said that the promise to Abraham and his descendants didn't come through the law, but faith. And then he says, verse 14, for if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. Paul is showing us the logic behind what he's saying. For those who were thinking that being born under the law of Moses or trying to keep the law of Moses would make them an heir, Paul is saying that won't work. If the law made you an heir, faith is useless. And the good promises of God are completely nullified, Paul says, because God's promise was made on the basis of faith. So here's where the law fails. It doesn't save. It doesn't qualify you to receive salvation. It doesn't qualify you to receive good from God. Paul said there in verse 15, the law brings about wrath. If you've read much about the law, especially from Paul's writings, you know that the law pointed out sin. Sin had already brought death into the world. That all started in the Garden of Eden, but the law spotlighted sin. It spotlighted sin in such a way that no one could deny right and wrong. And if you think about it, that's what any law is for, right? And that's exactly what Paul's saying in the second part of verse 15. He says, where there is no law, neither is there violation. Because the only way that you don't have a violation of law is where there is no law. Well, no one has ever lived without law. Adam was the first human on this planet, and God gave him a law. He announced what the punishment would be if he broke that law. And while the Gentiles later on didn't have the law of Moses, Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 tells us that God has written his law on their hearts. And they know what's right and wrong. And sometimes they did what was right, and they were also uh, certainly guilty of transgressing what they knew to be right and wrong. They violated the law that was written on their hearts. No one is without law, and so we all have violated God's law. Every one of us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, when we come to verse 16 of Romans chapter 4, this is, in my humble opinion, this is where it really gets good. This verse really shows the beauty of God's righteousness being available through faith, the beauty of, of his choosing to do it this way, okay? Listen to it again here in verse 16. For this reason, it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace, in order that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And, and we'll stop right there. This verse shows us the wisdom of God choosing to credit righteousness to those who have faith in him, those who choose him, those who choose his will, those who choose to do his will. There's, there's really three big things that I think we ought to see in this verse that, that we ought to uh, draw out and we ought to think about for a moment. Number one, faith is required by God. Faith is required by God. Number two, grace is needed by us. And number three, salvation is available to all. All right, let me say those again. 
First of all, faith is required by God. Grace is needed by us. And salvation is available to all. So let's start with the fact that faith is required by God. We've said that the promise to Abraham and his descendants was on the basis of faith rather than the law, right? We've, we've even discussed Abraham's faith a little bit here. But now, as Paul is preparing to give the incredibly important reasons why God's good promises are offered on the condition of faith, he starts verse 16 by saying, for this reason, it is by faith. So before we really dive into the, the why, we need to take a moment or two to, to make sure that we understand what this faith really is and what it looks like. And here's why I say that. It's it's a somewhat common error for people to think that God has softened up. You know, we're not under the old law of Moses. And so while, while many of us don't necessarily believe that we can live however we want, um, we do still live with this sense of uh, entitlement to salvation. Uh, Christians in Paul's day and Christians still today are guilty sometimes of thinking that uh, the requirement of faith— is somehow God letting us off the hook. First of all, I would say that we shouldn't think of God as putting us on some kind of hook anyway. We choose to love God, and that love spurs us to serve Him. That, that's the beauty of faith and grace, right? We choose Him. We get to choose Him. That's why this is beautiful. We get to choose to love Him. It wouldn't be love if we didn't. And that love, again, that, that's what spurs us to serve Him, to do His will, but we need to realize that God's requirement of faith does not mean that you know we've got it easier than some other group of believers in another part of history. As many of us know, if if we stop to consider it, and Jesus actually amplified what the old what the old law of Moses said. He he, he made statements like, "You've heard that you're not supposed to commit adultery," and he said, uh, "I say that if you look at a woman in lust, you've already done it." He said, you've heard that you aren't supposed to commit adultery. I say that if you hate your brother, you're guilty. He said, you've heard that you're to love your neighbor and hate your enemies. I say, love your enemies and pray for people who mistreat you. You see, guys, we aren't called to a lower standard. We're called to a much higher standard. God isn't concerned with us marking things off a physical checklist. He's concerned with what's going on, what's really going on in your mind and in your heart. Now, <laughs> that can be a terrifying thing. That can be a terrifying thing if what's going on in your heart and your mind is impure, uh, unloving, and lacking any real commitment and devotion to God. But because God is both just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus, if our heart and our mind is pure, loving, and committed to Christ, if we are faithful, we remain rooted in the promise of salvation. Here's the reality of God's requirement of faith. We are going to face crossroads. We're going to face crossroads in this life where our faith is put to the test. It's not if, it's when. How tough will it be? How frequent will it be? Those are the questions, but, but whether it's going to happen or not, that's not a question. It's going to happen. So, Here's what we need to do. We need to determine before we come to these crossroads that we are going to remain rooted in Christ through our faith, right? Like Abraham, we're just going to decide, even if it sounds like this is going to make it very difficult to, for God to keep his promise, I know God can, and I know God will. And so I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to do what, what his will and his written word instructs me to do. 
in spite of the circumstances around me. I, I, that's, that's faith. That's faith. That's the faith of Abraham. That's exactly how Abraham demonstrated his faith for us as a lesson for us. And we'll talk a, a little more about staying rooted in faith here in just a little bit. But let's move on to our next point. We see that faith is required by God, but we also need to see that grace is needed by us. That, that's our second point there. Grace is needed by us. At verse 16, Romans chapter 4, verse 16, remember it said, for this reason is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace. So grace is something we need. Paul explained, uh, I think he explained it pretty well earlier in a, a portion of Romans chapter 4. It's a portion that we didn't read, but but look with me if you've got your Bible there at verses 3 through 5, Romans chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. He said, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now listen to verse 4, guys. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor but as what is due. Now, verse five says, but to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Let me ask you a question. How many of us want God to give us what we deserve, what we've earned? How many want God to reward or punish us based on our works, based on our own personal merit? You don't want what you deserve. Paul said here in Romans chapter 4, verse 4, to the one who works, his wage is credited, or his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. I don't want the wage that is due to me based on what I've done. I don't want that. Romans 6, 23 says, the wages of sin is death. That's what I've earned. That's, that's, that's uh, what we've all earned. We've all earned death for ourselves, spiritual death, the second death, eternal separation from God. But... To the one who believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Folks, we need grace. Where the law fails, faith prevails. The law fails us like we sometimes say a, a teacher failed us. You know, Mrs. So-and-so failed me again, <laughs> you know, or, you know, that teacher, he he failed me, right? When we say that, we don't usually mean that a teacher actually let us down. We're saying it in the sense that we failed and the teacher showed us we failed by the the grade on our test, the grade on our report card, the grade on our homework. The, the teacher showed us that we failed. Well, the law fails us in the same way. The law shows us that we have failed God. It is like the, the grade on the report card. It shows us all the, the commands we failed to keep. It shows us all the ways that we failed to glorify God. Paul compared the law to a tutor, or we would say a teacher. In Galatians 3.24, he said, The law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. We don't want the law to be our final judge. We need grace. If we kept a set of laws, we would be doing the work ourselves and God would be required to give us what we deserve. And remember Romans chapter 4 verse 15 said, the law brings about wrath. We need grace. Again, Paul said in Romans 4 16, for this reason, it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace. What a beautiful plan. What, what a beautiful plan. But that's not the end of the beauty that we see in verse 16, okay? Faith is required by God. Grace is needed by us. And last but not least, salvation is available 
to all. Uh, this is this is the cap on the end of it all, and this is uh, a, a beautiful way uh, to wrap this up. And not just to wrap this up. I mean, there's there's more than just uh, this being a a beautiful way to finish what Paul is is writing here. What he is saying. This is uh, the beauty of God's plan. This is the the big part that is important to us. It's critical. It's vital. Is that salvation is available to all, not some. Everyone can take hold of salvation if they will. By faith, okay? So salvation is available to all. Look at Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Again, it says, For this reason it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace, in order that, here we go, in order that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Over and over and over again. Throughout Paul's letter to the Romans, this theme is stated, clarified, explained, and praised. The good news is for everybody. Good news is for all. God does not show partiality. He requires faith. God does not limit who can come to him. He requires faith. God does not weigh and measure your works. He requires faith. We see it over and over and over again throughout the book of Romans. It's all rooted in faith. Salvation is available to everyone by faith, through faith, like Abraham. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29 says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, which, by the way, you would not do unless you had real faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants heirs according to the promise. Boy, where have we heard that? Where have we heard uh, about Abraham and his descendants and promises being made to them and how to take hold of those promises? Regardless of lineage, regardless of social status, regardless of gender, in the mind of God, Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise, those are, are, are the ones who through faith belong to Christ. The question is, will we be rooted in faith? Will our faith overcome obstacles? Will our faith withstand the winds of the world? Will our faith stand strong against Satan's schemes? When God's word reveals to us that something we hold dear in our lives needs to be sacrificed, will we have faith like Abraham? When we realize that a, a decades-long friendship is toxic to our spiritual life, will we have faith like Abraham? Will we be willing to sacrifice that, that relationship and be content with God? Or will we expose the unfortunate truth that our faith is actually in the things of this world? When an entertainment vice needs to be sacrificed because it's profane and or it takes up far too much of your time, will you be willing to sacrifice it? Will you have faith like Abraham? Or will you hold tight to the passing pleasures of this world. When casual conversation with somebody turns into railing against these so-called old-fashioned Christians who are stuck in the Stone Age and need to get with the times, get with the culture, get get with all the, the stuff, the agenda that's being pushed on us right now, you know, what's their problem? Will you have faith like Abraham? Will you, with love and gentleness, stand up for the truth of God? Or will you put your faith in the approval of men? Listen, faith is 
We've talked a lot about faith. Faith isn't exclusive of works. Faith, the rubber has to hit the road, and and real faith includes works. Real faith produces works. We aren't saved by works, but we are saved by faith so that we will do the good works which God prepared for us to do. What will your faith do when it's tested? Are you rooted in the faith of Abraham? Praise God that where the law fails, faith prevails. As we finish things up here this morning, I'd like to ask those of you listening on the radio right now the most important question that any of us could ever be asked. It's a question that each and every single one of us needs to be able to answer honestly. Here's the question. If the Lord were to return today, Do you know for sure, no doubts whatsoever, that you would go to live with him forever? Do you know for certain that he's going to let you into heaven? Can a person even know? In 1 John 5, verse 13, the Apostle John writes that we can know. He says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. That's good news. I want to know that I have eternal life. Now, let's back up just a little bit, and I want to show you a reality that's in the Scriptures that we need to deal with. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7-9, through 9, Scripture says there's coming a day when the Lord Jesus Christ will be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God, and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Who did this passage of Scripture say was going to pay the penalty of eternal destruction? Well, there are two groups listed. Number one, those who do not know God. And secondly, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Now, Maybe you know God. I hope you do. But let me ask you this. Have you obeyed the gospel? Before you answer that, let's make sure we know what the gospel is. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So the gospel is the power of God for salvation. But what is it? What is the gospel? We know what it does. We know uh, the power that it holds, but what is the gospel? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, the Bible interprets itself here. The, the Apostle Paul writes, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So, there are three main statements that make up the gospel. Christ died for our sins, Christ was buried, Christ was raised on the third day. The Bible teaches us that his death paid the price for our sin and his resurrection made eternal life possible for us. So now that we understand what the gospel is, 
let's get back to our question, how do we obey the gospel? I want to read Romans chapter 6, just verses 3 and 4 for you, and I want you to listen and see if you can hear all three parts of the gospel being played out here, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. The Bible says here in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Did you catch that? Did you find the three parts of the gospel there? When we are baptized, the Bible says, we are baptized into Christ's death. When we are baptized, the Bible says, we are buried with Christ. And finally, when we are baptized, we are raised up as Christ was raised from the dead so that we too will walk in newness of life. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, please know that we would love to talk with you about your situation. We would love to answer any questions you have. We would appreciate the opportunity to discuss with you the costs of following Christ. If you're interested, keep listening, and we'll tell you how you can get in touch with us in just a moment. I'm Jake Brown, and on behalf of the church, I want to thank you for listening to today's broadcast. If you're in the area, I want to encourage you to join us in person at Liberty Christian Church at one of our Sunday services. We meet at 1030 a.m., again, 1030 each and every Sunday morning at 8774 North U.S. Highway 421, Madison, Indiana. Jesus created his church as a body of people. His church is a family made up of sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, and we have been called to meet together regularly. The pattern that we see from the church in the Bible is that they met every Sunday. So, if you're able, come meet with us next Sunday right here at Liberty Christian Church in beautiful Madison, Indiana. We love you, God loves you, and it is our prayer that he will bless you this week as you seek his truth.